Well, happy Palm Sunday to all of you. Say that again, happy Palm Sunday to all of you. Easter is going to be an exciting time for us here at the City Church family. And again, I want to encourage you to use the invites we gave you to invite friends, family, neighbors, and enemies. Now with this, I'm excited about this morning as well. We have an individual that's become a very dear friend of mine. His name is Rob Reamer. Rob is the author of a book called Soul Care. I met him through a mutual friend of ours several years ago and came to understand the ministry that God had called him to be a part of when he was writing this book called Soul Care. We have now had a couple of hundred people here at City Church be involved with some expression of soul care where they have looked at their lives and their hearts, determined that how they're living and how life is going, that they just need to deal with some things. And so I can't thank Rob Reamer enough for the book that he wrote, for how the Lord's using you, and thank you so much for taking time away several times a year to come to City Church. And so now at this time, if you'd come on up and join me, let's give Rob Reamer a warm welcome as he comes to join me up on stage. God bless you, buddy. Thanks, brother. Always good to be with you. Two pets, yeah. Somebody. Um, listen, uh, many years ago when I was a, a seminary student, I started to lead a Bible study for people that were not churched. And I led this Bible study because I really, I just understood if I was getting into church ministry, I had to be in a place where I was still connected with people outside the church. And so I wanted to, I wanted to do this. I had one friend that I invited that was a, um, a co-worker when I was working as a land surveyor. He worked for my grandfather. My grandfather had a land surveying business during summers and school breaks. I'd work there. And so I knew this guy for many years. And he had been having conversations with me about Jesus for a long time. And I thought, I I'm just going to invite Dave. And so Dave came to this. And then there was a guy that I knew actually from high school. And his name was Sean. And he grew up in a really hard family. And he was a heroin addict. And he had contacted AIDS. And he was dying. And he only had a short time to live. And I thought, you know, when people are coming to the end of life, someone needs to tell them about Jesus. And so I invited Sean. And there was one other guy, his name was Rich Menard, and, and Rich was, he grew up as an orphan. And uh, he had a really tough upbringing in an orphanage, back when they used to do orphanages more regularly than they do today. And uh, he had a pretty tough story. He was always hard towards God. He was not interested in spiritual things at all, but I had played softball with him. And so I had called him up because I thought, you know, I'm just going to invite Rich to come too. So the very first night comes, and I had a handful of others that were there as well. And, you know, uh, my mom and dad's house is where I was having it because I was a seminary student. I lived an hour away and, from the church that I was working in. So I, I come home, and my mom and dad go out for dinner, and I invite all these people over, right? So, I, I mean, I knew some of these guys, and I knew they were smokers. I mean, they had pretty tough lives, you know? And so I told them, bring your own beer. I'll provide the Bibles. You know, so they did. They brought their beer and, and I put out ashtrays. It didn't look like a typical church service, but it did look like someplace Jesus would have hung out. 
And so my mom comes home. You know, we have our first study. It went really well. My mom comes home, and the house is, it looks like a bar room. You know, it's full of smoke. My mother grew up in a very religious context, and so this was not typical in our household. Our house was never filled with smoke. As a matter of fact, that may have been the only time it was ever filled with smoke. And so she walks in the room. She goes, you let them smoke in my house? I said, yeah, Mom. I said, I let them smoke in the house. I said, actually, I put out the ashtrays. And I said, if you don't want me to next week, I won't put them out. But I said, I'll tell you why I did it, Mom. I said, the reality is, I don't know how long some of these guys are going to live. One of them is dying of AIDS, and he's probably not going to be here in another six months. And I figured we could endure a little smoke so that they could get to heaven. My mother didn't say anything else, but the next week she put out the ashtrays. I still made them provide the beer. I wasn't providing the beer, but... When I did this Bible study, I focused on one question, really predominantly one question. Here is the question I focused on. Who is Jesus? Listen, if you're searching for truth, the place to start is really with Jesus. Let me just tell you why really briefly, okay? The thing about truth is this. Truth is very narrow. It's just the way truth works. It's always narrow. It's very narrow. I mean, think about the law of gravity for a second. If you go up to a tall building and you jump, can I just suggest that 100% of the time you're going to fall? That's the way truth works. It's narrow. So if you're going to start looking for truth, begin in narrow places. Jesus made claims that no one else ever made. He said stuff about himself that no one else ever said. He claimed to be both fully God and fully man. He claimed to be able to die and rise again. He claimed to offer you forgiveness from God and eternal life. No one else can make claims like this. So you start with Jesus. So I just took him through the book of Mark, and I simply asked this question all the way through. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And so what? What does it mean for your life? And we went through this study. It was really fun. This morning, I want to take a look at the same question with you, but I want to take a look at a different passage of Scripture. The passage I want to look at today is from this passage on Palm Sunday so long ago. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went ahead and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. In the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet in Galilee. This is the fundamental question, you know, that everybody has to ask. Who is Jesus? It's the right question to ask. 
The crowd's answer is he's a prophet. It's a good answer. It's not a complete answer. C.S. Lewis wrote a book years ago that he talked about who Jesus was, and in his book he makes this comment. He says, either Jesus was a lunatic, he was a liar, or he was Lord. What he meant was really simple. You know, if Jesus was claiming to be God and it wasn't true, then he was nuts. That's true. If Jesus was claiming to be God and he was also called a good teacher, but he was lying, he's not a good teacher. But if Jesus claimed to be God, and he was, then he was Lord of all. He was the king. It's interesting because while the crowd is still not quite certain who Jesus is as he approaches Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is awaiting him to crucify him, which Jesus knows, there's some thinking in the crowd that he is a king. The reason they're thinking it is because you can tell by their shouts, Hosanna to the son of David. He, of course was the premier king of Israel. So when they're shouting that, they realize that this could possibly be the king. But the king they're looking for, he's a political king. They're looking for somebody to overthrow the rule of Rome. They're looking for somebody to put Jerusalem back on the map. They're looking for somebody to set things right that are wrong in the political realm. That's the kind of king they were looking for. But Jesus was a different kind of king. He was a totally different kind of king. They should have known. You know why they should have known? They should have known because he came riding on a donkey. Listen, kings don't ride on donkeys. They ride on big stallions maybe in that day and age. They come triumphant, but he comes riding on a donkey. Worse, a baby donkey. The people are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, and he's riding on a little tiny baby donkey. He comes gentle, riding on a donkey. What kind of king is this? Who is this king? See, that's the essential question in all of history. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And so what? And today I want to walk through the concept that Jesus is a king. But he's not the kind of king you think he is. The question is, what kind of king is he? Listen, from the very first message Jesus preaches, he starts talking about the kingdom. But the kingdom he's talking about doesn't look like an earthly kingdom. As a matter of fact, he doesn't proclaim it's an earthly kingdom. The kingdom he preaches is the kingdom of heaven. He's the king of the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's why his kingdom's so different. Listen, you have to understand from the first words he speaks, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, until the very last thing he does, which right before in Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven, he is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God once again. His primary message is the kingdom. As a matter of fact, we talk about the gospel. More accurate biblically, it is the gospel of the kingdom. That is the message of Jesus. It's all about the kingdom. He's the king. So the question is, it seems to me, we ought to be able to articulate the answer to what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? Now, let me give you a really easy answer. You ready? The kingdom of God is the reversal of everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered the world. 
That's why when Jesus walks into the scene, he heals sick people because you know what? There wasn't any sickness before sin. Adam and Eve didn't have sickness until sin entered the world. And that's when sickness entered the world and death entered the world. Listen, when you get to heaven, there isn't going to be any sickness. That's because when the king rules, there is no sickness. When the king shoves up, sickness is healed. That's what happens when the king comes around. Jesus proclaims a message of forgiveness. He proclaims forgiveness because there wasn't any irreconciliation. There wasn't any sin separating us from God in the beginning. But when sin entered the world, the relationship with God got broken. So Jesus proclaims a message of forgiveness. Jesus proclaims the message of freedom because nobody struggled with bondage until sin entered the world. Everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered the world, Jesus came to reverse. That's the message of the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you a positive spin on it. Here's the positive word for it. The kingdom of heaven is the restoration of the way things were intended to be. That's the message of the kingdom. Can I tell you something? When you get to heaven, there's going to be no more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more prejudice, no more racism. There's going to be no more violence, no more wars, no more heartaches. There's going to be no more evil in our planet. See, that's the kingdom. And he's the king. And what I want to look at today is I just want to look at a couple of things about King Jesus that are really important for us. First, the kingdom of heaven involves forgiveness because Jesus is a Savior. King Jesus is a Savior. He came to save you from your sin. My friend Rich Menard that came to that Bible study, his heart was, as I said in the beginning, was really hard towards God. You know, he had a hard life. He could reject it from your mother and father and you know, you grow up in an orphanage where a lot of really bad things happen. You know, there was abuse, lots of it. He'd been abused by older kids and, you know, just had a hard life. And when you grow up in a life like that, you pretty soon really don't even believe there is a God. It's understandable. Well, I called him up to invite him to this Bible study. And, you know, when I called him, I didn't really have a lot of relationship with him. Like, I had played softball with him. But honestly, you know, uh, he was really, really quiet really quiet, very introverted. So I didn't know him that well. So I call him up on the phone. I'm a little nervous to do it anyways, but I call him up on the phone and I said to him, hey, Rich, I said, this is Rob Reamer. I said, I played softball with you. Yeah, 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 Rob, yeah, I remember you. I said, Rich, I said, well, the thing is, I said, I'm, 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 I'm at together with some guys at my house. I said, you know, we're going to uh, study the Bible. I said, I thought maybe you'd like to come. He burst out laughing. And you see, because I have discernment, I thought, he ain't coming. But the thing is, uh, he didn't really, he's kind of polite, right? And he didn't really want to be rude. So he says to me, he goes, well, I don't, I don't know, Rob. He goes, I don't believe too much about that stuff. He goes, I'll think about it, but I don't know. I said, all right, well, just let me know. Goes, I will, I'll let you know. I said, okay. I hung up the phone. I thought, there's no way he's coming. But I prayed for him. Well, the night of the first study comes, and he shows up, and his wife later on told me the story. She was a believer, you know, and she was praying for him. And so the, the time comes for him where he needs to leave, and she, she says to him, Rich, are you going to go to the Bible study? And he goes, yeah, I don't think so. She goes, well, you know, you, you told him, you'd tell him, you should call him. He didn't want to call me, so he came. <laughs> I love that. But the first week we started studying Jesus, you see, Jesus is the most compelling person I've ever met in my life. There's no one like Jesus. 
He was so intrigued. He came back the second week and the third week and the fourth week, and he came back every week. And as he started coming back, you know, he started with hostility and he moved towards acceptance, and finally he became a follower of Jesus. His heart started softening, and, you know, he started giving back. Fun story, you know. He started dressing up as Santa Claus at Christmas time and going to orphans and bringing a big bag of toys and giving kids toys because he knew what it felt like to be an orphan. One day, Christmas Day, about four or five years after he came to faith, he went to give a bag of toys to the orphans. He gave out toys in the morning. He came home on Christmas Day afterwards, laid down to take a nap, and he died. Had a massive heart attack and died in his Santa suit. And he woke up in the arms of Jesus with no more sickness, no more pain, no more heartache. This is why we tell people about Jesus. He's the king who forgives. He saves. There's a second thing about King Jesus, and that is not only does he save, but he also heals. The king's a healer. Well, you know, every story you read in the Gospels, you can't read too many pages without finding Jesus healing somebody. It's just so normative. It's kingdom normal to have divine healing. That's normal kingdom activity. And everywhere you go, you know, it's Jesus. He's opened the eyes of the blind. He's helping people who are lame to walk. You know, he's healing disease. This is who he is. This is what he does. He's the king. He's doing the reversal of everything that went wrong with the world when sin entered the world. So when sickness came, Jesus heals. That's what he does. Years ago, you know, I was understanding this teaching about Jesus. I, I grew up in a denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, and we believe that Jesus Christ is our healer. It's one of our statements that we believe in, and I believe it. Theologically, I believe it. I believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the Scripture says. He is alive. He has risen, and as a result, I believe he still heals today, just like he healed when he was on the earth. The problem was I wasn't seeing a lot of healing. I believed it, but I wasn't seeing it. And I don't know about you, but in my own spiritual journey, when I have a disconnect between what I believe and what I experience, that disconnect that I feel leaves me with a dissonance that I cannot live with. I have got to figure out how to close that gap in my life. So I decided I was going after this gap between what I believed the Scripture taught about Jesus as a healer and what I was experiencing in my regular existence. And so I thought, I'm going to read books on healing. So I read a whole bunch of books on healing, went back to our founder, Dr. A.B. Simpson, who was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, because he had some really great beliefs on healing, and read him, and read other ancients, read modern guys. I decided I was going to go to conferences on healing, you know? So uh, I went to a bunch of evangelical, Pentecostal conferences on healing, you know, went to some Randy Clark things, and these different guys, Mahesh Shab, these guys that were seeing healing. I thought... Hey, they're seeing more stuff than I am, man. I, I'm not too proud to learn. So I went and showed up at these conferences. You know what? Cool things happened. People got healed. But as the second conference I went to, I was driving away. My wife was with me, and I said, that's it. I'm not going to any more of these conferences. I said, they're not helping me. I said, I already believe this stuff. I don't need teaching on it. I said, my problem isn't that I don't believe it. My problem is that I go to these things, and these guys pray for people, and they see healing. I said, I need to see it. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, I'm going to go on a missions trip with one of these guys that, you know, sees more healing than I see, 
And I'm going to go to a place in a country where they see more healing than we see in the U.S. And I'm going to, I'm going to take in some healing. That's what I'm going to do. She goes, okay. Five minutes later, I got an email from a guy that I'd met once. And this was the email. I felt led by God to send you and your family on a missions trip with Randy Clark to Brazil. I sent you a check for $20,000. I don't know. It seemed like an answer to prayer to me. So I said yes. <laughs> so, okay, I'll go. So I go to Brazil. Brazil is seeing unbelievable things right now. I don't know if you're aware of what's happening in the world scene, but in Brazil, they, they are seeing miraculous healings on unbelievable levels. It's incredible. Some of it's about desperation, you understand, right? You know, in the United States, sadly, God is the God of the last resort because we have so many other options. But you go to places like Brazil sometimes, and you know what? God is not the God of the last resort. He's the God of the first defense because they don't have any other options. And so I go to Brazil, and you know, when I go there in Brazil, I... I, I said to the team that I was praying with, I said, I got to see stuff I've never seen before. You know, in the beginning of the trip, you know, we're praying for a lot of stomach issues, very common in countries, you know, and so I'm praying for stomach issues, and there's healing, you know, shoulder pains, and there's healing, and back pains, and there's some healing. But I'm going, I've seen this stuff before. I ain't doing this anymore. So I looked at my team and I said to them, listen, I ain't praying for anybody with normal diseases anymore. I said, I'm done with that. I said, I need to see stuff I've never seen before. So I said, I'm only praying for people that were born blind, you know, or people that don't have a limb, and I'm praying for a limb to grow out, you know. So I'm going for the big ones. So I said, I'm praying for anything else. So you guys cover all the little stuff. So last day I'm there, I prayed for some guy that was born blind, you know, for 45 minutes, and, you know, sadly he didn't get to see. And I was disappointed. And I prayed for another lady who was born blind. I prayed for her for 35 minutes, and she didn't get to see it. You know, now the night's running out, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't have any more time, and I'm not leaving this stinking country until I see something I've never seen before. So I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you and me, we got an appointment here. You, you need to show up. I got nothing. And it's true. I got nothing. It's all about Jesus. You know, one of the biggest problems in the church, we make it too much about us. It's not about us. And so I just said, Lord, I need you, you know. And so right when I said that, there's this lady that walks up to me, and she has a tumor right on her throat. She's a little lady, you know. She's real skinny and pretty young lady, and she's got this tumor. It's coming out. I mean, it's past her chin. And I laid my hand on the tumor, and this was the entirety of my prayer. You ready? Here it is. Go in Jesus' name. And it shrunk right under my hand just disappeared right under my hand. I mean, she screamed and cried like a little girl. I screamed and cried like a little girl. It was amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Unbelievable. Listen, since then, I've seen way more healing than I've seen before. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I think we've forgotten that he's the king. He's the king who saves souls and heals sick bodies and broken hearts. Not only that, but finally here today, I just want to talk about the fact that he's also the king who comes to bring us freedom. He's a deliverer. He's a liberator. Listen, think of your soul for a second like a suitcase, you know, and Pete mentioned soul care, and, you know, in this 
book, I use this analogy, but your soul's like a suitcase. You know, I travel all the time, you know, when I travel, I, you know, I come to a trip like this and I have a suitcase with me and it's nice and neat in the beginning. You know, everything's packed in there, it's folded in there, everything's clean and neat and folded and it's great. And then you're there for four or five days and by the time I'm done, it's all dirty anyway, it's all going to be washed, just throw it back in, you know, the suitcase. But the thing is, when I get home, before I pack for the next trip, I got to unpack the suitcase. You see, you can't put in nice, new, neat, clean clothes, there's no room in there for them until I unpack the dirty clothes that I brought back from the last trip. So i got to unpack those clothes before I can pack in new clothes. I'm telling you, I travel the world talking to people, and there's a whole bunch of people out there. They're asking for more of God. They want more of God's presence. They want more of God's love. They want more of God's peace. They want more of God's healing presence. But you know what? The suitcase is so full, they don't have any room for more of God. And until they empty the suitcase, there's no room for more. The problem is our suitcase gets filled with all kinds of stuff. It gets filled with lies that we believe about ourselves because of things that have been done to us and said to us and things that we have done. Suitcase gets filled with secrets. And when there's secrets, there's shame. The suitcase gets filled with bitterness. And what happens is we want the freedom and fullness of God. We want more of his life and more of his presence and more of what Jesus talks about. But there's no room. Till I unpack the suitcase. But here's the cool part. You ready? Jesus came to set you free. He's the king. And he can set you free. He can set you free and liberate you from all kinds of issues. Bitterness, that's no problem for Jesus. Wounding from your past, he can heal your wounds. See, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. He's the king. And sometimes the stuff in the suitcase involves spiritual stuff. We live in a really spiritual world. And I just use this illustration a lot because it illustrates the reality of the world. And, and, and here's, here's the story. How many of you grew up watching Scooby-Doo cartoons? Okay, Scooby-Doo. Anybody not know who Scooby-Doo is? I can't see you anyway, so even if you don't, it doesn't matter. Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo is a cartoon with a dog who talks sometimes. Not that much, not too good, but a little bit. And then he has these, you know, teenage sleuths that are with him, and together they solve mysteries. Well, you know, the reason why the cartoon works as an illustration for what I'm about to tell you in the shift of the worldview that we've experienced is because it's the longest-running TV show in the history of TV. Not counting reruns, new episodes, Okay. Every generation has produced new iteration of Scooby-Doo. Um, there was uh, the original one was you know Scooby-Doo, where are you? And then there were the Scooby-Doo movies, and uh, you know then there was Scooby-Doo and Scrappy, who I couldn't stand. And you know so there's all these different shows, right? So latest ones have been Scooby-Doo with the characters from Supernatural that was put out last year. So anyhow. When Scooby-Doo started in the originals in the 1960s, this is how the cartoons ran. There was a ghost at the beginning of the cartoon. There was always a ghost. But by the end of the cartoon, 22 and a half minutes later, the ghost had been unmasked as a villain, a bad guy. It wasn't really a ghost. It was some guy posing as a ghost. You've got to understand, what they were teaching you was worldview. What they were telling you was behind every apparent supernatural phenomenon is a natural explanation. The supernatural does not meet the natural. That was modernism. That was the worldview I grew up with. But that's actually not the biblical worldview. What the cool part is, we're starting to catch up in the United States to actually a more biblical worldview in some areas. 
mid-1990s, someplace in there, I was visiting a friend. I'm mean, I out in the kitchen, and we're eating, and we finished dinner, and we're having cake and coffee, and I'm having a piece of cake and coffee, and I hear in the other room his kid is listening to a cartoon, and I hear Scooby-Doo. Well, I like Scooby-Doo. So I wander into the other room. The kid is sitting on the floor, and he's eating his cake, watching Scooby. So I sit down right next to him on the floor, and I'm eating my cake, watching Scooby. There's a ghost. There's always a ghost. It's Scooby-Doo. But this time, at the end of the cartoon, the ghost was still a ghost. And I went, rot row. Someone has just taught a new generation of children that behind an apparent supernatural phenomenon is an actual supernatural being. Oh, that changes everything. Around the same time, a little book series came out, turned out to be kind of popular, called Harry Potter. Teaches a spiritual worldview. I'm not here to knock Harry Potter, and this is not my goal at all. What I am telling you is this. It teaches a spiritual worldview, and since the introduction of the change in worldview in our culture, the fastest-growing religion in 16 to 24-year-olds, that is by percentage of growth, not numbers of growth, by percentage of growth, the fastest-growing religion is Wiccan, which is a combination of witchcraft and paganology. More people are experimenting with spiritual things in our culture than ever before. Listen, I had a medium in the town that I grew up in, used to go to the public high school, give prophetic words from the platform to the entire student body. They invited her in seven times. This wouldn't happen five years ago in the U.S. But the world has changed. Man, it hasn't changed for the King Jesus, though. Guess what? He's the king over every dark spiritual power. He's not nervous. You know my favorite thing about Jesus? He's never nervous. He's never nervous. I had a guy who was in my doctoral program. His name is Glenn. When Glenn came to the doctoral program, you know, he had a pretty tough life. I'm talking physical abuse. Uh, his parents were alcoholics. There was uh, emotional abuse. It was just a tough life. There's a lot of tough stories in the world. And Glenn had one of those kind of stories, a tough story. He had a lot of stuff in the suitcase. You know, there was a lot of pain from abuse. There was a lot of lies that he believed about himself, like he was worthless, like he wasn't lovable. He had a lot of shame. There was a lot of bitterness. He'd been really hurt. And we started going through the soul care stuff, and man, he's just starting to pull stuff out. He's being really open, really honest. He's unpacking his suitcase. He's forgiving people who sinned against him. He's confessing secrets. He's bringing all his stuff into the light. And I can see the suitcase getting lighter while he's going through the process. But the last thing I cover is I talk about spirits and the real world. And there's real spirits, and they're not good, lots of them. And when we did a test, he had voices that he'd heard in his head. And they weren't like voices, like audible voices. It was like thoughts that constantly bombarded him that he could never get rid of. You know what the thoughts were telling him? That he was worthless. He was a piece of trash. He wasn't lovable. They condemned him every day. And, you know, I called him up and kicked him out in Jesus' name because he's the king. Jesus isn't nervous. Listen, I'll tell you something. This guy called me up a month later, and this is what he said to me. Tears he said to me, every day of my life, I have wrestled with condemning thoughts. Every day, I heard you're a piece of, every day, you're worthless. He said, I thought it was normal. 
He said, I thought everybody wrestled with this. And then he said to me, for the first time in my life, my head is empty in the best sense of the word. He said, I wake up every day and my head is clear with no condemning thoughts. And with tears in his eyes streaming down his face, he said to me, I have contemplated suicide every day of my life until those things left. And I have never thought of it in the last month. Now it's been several years and he's completely free. So that's the king. Listen, I got two implications for you for King Jesus as we close. Here they are, number one. You need to bring your friends to the king. Oh, Pastor Pete stood up here and said, invite your friends to Easter, please. Please, do you know how many people are around you that are desperate for King Jesus? Invite your friends. You pray, you ask God who to invite. Invite your friends. Two, come as you are. Listen, you don't have to pretend to be something you're not when you come to King Jesus. You get to come as you are. The guy who wrote the book that we just read from the Gospel of Matthew, he was a tax collector. He was a messed up dude. He came as he was. Jesus loved him. You can come as you are with all your brokenness and Jesus can heal it. You can come as you are with all your sin and all your shame and Jesus can cure your soul. He can forgive you and release you. You can come with all of your addictions and all of your bondage, and Jesus is a king who can set you free. So you come as you are. And today as we close the service, you know, there's going to be people down front that can pray with you, and if you've got stuff in the suitcase that you need to unpack, come. Come as you are.